Uh, let, me, let me begin this morning with a word of prayer and uh, then kind of catch up. We're going to finish up the last part of our lesson from last time and move in uh, to the new one today. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, Genesis uh, uh, 4 through Genesis 12, uh, and hopefully it will, the pieces will come together and make sense for you. But let's, let's bow together in prayer. Father, we are grateful that you called us out of darkness into light. Father, we know that if uh, you would mark iniquity, none of us would be able to stand on our own. So we thank you that once for all, at the end of the ages, Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And by your Spirit, you've breathed life into us and given us a desire to know you and to know your word. So, Father, I pray that as we go through uh, these studies together, that we will learn how to look through your scripture as a lens to help us understand what life is all about. So we ask that you'll bless this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me, let me just emphasize again, one of the things that we're endeavoring to do is to get you to understand we don't want to just look at the Bible. We want to look through the Bible. The Bible becomes a lens through which we understand everything else. And we want to look at that in several ways today. But last time, we were looking at creation uh, and the fact that God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And uh, the sense of being an image bearer, being made in the image of God, is profoundly important that we get a hold of. And, and if we don't look through that lens, and instead we look through the cultural lens that's around us today of this whole evolutionary thing, the whole transgender thing, the gender fluidity, you know, your, your you know, uh, uh, chosen pronouns and all the rest of that, we realize we can look at the world through the biblical lens and recognize that we are all image bearers made in the image of God. And we're going to see how that applies. If we look over here through this lens, it's going to be distorted and twisted and how we live our life. So what we're looking at as we're going through Scripture is not just trying to learn more stuff about the Bible. We're trying to learn how to use the Bible so that we can live our lives in a way that's going to be productive and constructive. So last time we talked about the fact that we have six different covenants in Scripture. And we talked about the significance of covenants and contract. And so just as a reminder, we have a covenant made with Adam, though some aren't quite willing to call it a covenant. We have some that are made with Noah. We have one that's made with Noah. We're going to look at that today. Covenant made with Abraham. We'll look at that next time. Covenant made with Moses, the old covenant. The covenant made with David, 2 Samuel 7. And then the new covenant that's made with Jesus Christ. So we, we talked about, uh, I'm going to skip by this, we talked about different ways that we look at Scripture. Uh, and uh, I want to come to this and remind you again. Adam and Eve were king and queen of creation. 
they were stewards. God had given them a particular task. They were entrusted with royal authority. They were kingdom conscious. You know, throughout Scripture, kingdom is the bedrock of everything. If you ask me, what is the thing that I've learned more from than anything else, it's this idea of kingdom. You know, one of the things when I, I talked to the elders about doing this class was doing a series on the parables of the kingdom from Matthew 13. What a powerful section of scripture. You know, and kingdom is throughout. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, that's all the way at the very beginning. There's an obligation to fulfill the mandate that God gave them. And we're going to see that that mandate is uh, going to be repeated with, uh, uh, with Noah. There are sanctions imposed for failure. You know, don't eat of the tree. If you do, you're going to die. And so what we said is that Adam becomes a major type in the redemptive drama. So Noah, Abraham, Moses, David are all second Adams, but then Jesus Christ is the last Adam. He's the one that all of these things have been moving toward. That's why in Luke 24, when they're all discombobulated because all of their hopes have been dashed, Jesus comes along and he opens up the scripture to show how they all pointed forward to him. Now, what we want to look at today, and I, I want to read, I want to point you to two passages of scripture. That is the fall and the exile of the king and queen of creation. And again, I have to tell you, I've mentioned this before, if you've never read C.S. Lewis's Paralandra, and you don't know about Torrentinadril, the king and queen of, uh, 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 of uh, Venus, uh, what a beautiful way to parallel what's going on here, except that ended well, you know, where Adam and Eve fall into sin. But go with me for just a moment to Genesis chapter 3. And you'll remember the account. I, I can't read all of it, but I want to read a bit of it. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You'll not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, parallel passage, you'll have to read this on your own, is found in Romans chapter 5, where he describes about how sin came in through the sin of the first man and how the obedience of Jesus Christ stands in contrast. So you really need to put those two things together in understanding what happens. So I want to take some time to walk you through that today. Uh, we got to ask the question, who are the players? We've been talking about this drama of redemption, of what God is doing. Well, God is certainly the main one. He is the director. He's the one that's written all of this. And then there is man, human beings made in the image of God. 
the, the phrase that I put up there is important, answerable agents. In fact, I, I, let me pause for just a second here and, and send these out. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing in the class, as we go through the class and I say, well, we really need more time to go through this. We need to do another series. So I decided rather than saying that, I'm going to send you some stuff, you know, that will, that will amplify that. So I have, uh, uh, let me put one over here. If you, if you would like to get uh, this information, uh, then put your name down there, write your email really clearly, okay? Uh, half the time I find out I forgot a dot or I, forgot, I can't read what the letter is. And, and then what I'm going to do is I've had several people ask about the slides. I have all of the slides in a PDF format. I will send them to you. You know, and that way, the problem is there's too much stuff to print out. You know, and this way, you'll be able, if you want that, to, to get it in email, and you can look at it, or you can print what you want. But I'll be sending stuff out every week, you know, for those that are interested. So, uh, anyhow, uh, that, uh, that perhaps will be a, a help. In, in getting across some of the points that we can't really develop. But man, the answerable agent, is an image bearer. It is more than just he has a free will. And in fact, I'm going to send out uh, one of the things that talks about what's the difference between being God's agent and being a free agent. And we talk about Tom Brady and some others in there. So you'll be able to read through that. So when we think of the players, there's God. There's man, the image bearer, the agent that's answerable to God. And then there's Satan, the deceiver. Okay, he is the crafty one. Uh, then there is creation itself. It becomes not only the platform, but it becomes a performer in some ways. You know, the, the creation, the animals, the wind, uh, and so forth, God uses those. And so if we're going to understand what's happening here, and again... Taking Genesis 3 and understanding the fall, you can spend the rest of your life reading everything that people have written about that. It is massive. So we're going to try to condense that all into something I hope that makes sense. So what we have when we talk about that is we have death that comes in Adam, but life that comes in Christ. And this is the passage from Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because of all sin. Now, if you go on and read the rest of the passage, you're going to understand how Christ becomes the second Adam, how he's going to undo all of that. So let's talk about what God's part is in what's happening in the garden. Okay, Number one, God scripts the scene. Do you understand God is not sitting back wondering what's going to happen, wondering what Adam and Eve might do. He's written the script. He knows what's going to happen because that is part of his decree and his plan. So he does that, and he, he places the tempter there. It didn't just happen to be that Satan got there. He is there, you know, by direction and permission of God. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, over and over and over again, the work of Satan says because God allowed that, because God permitted that. He had a purpose in that, so God had a purpose in putting the tempter there. He prepares a moral agent. 
uh, an answerable agent. Adam and Eve, they are there. He creates a, a restricted tree. What is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You know, we have the picture of the apple, uh, but we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that was an important part of that. And then he gives a clear prohibition. Prohibition says don't do it. Don't eat of it. The day you do it, you're going to die. Now, is that hard to understand? Uh, I mean, that's not like, well, I don't know, let's, let's talk about, you know, what does is mean? You know, remember back years ago, the meaning of is? Uh, no, it's crystal clear. So here's the part that God plays. Now, what's Satan's part in this? Okay, Satan, this is not just some kind of force that we think about, some evil force. Satan is a being. He is a personality that has created by God, uh, had great power in heaven, and rebelled against God, and now is cast out of heaven. So, what's his part? Well, subvert. He wants to do everything that he can to undermine and subvert what God is doing. What's his character like? He is crafty. I love the, the John, what is it, John 8 passage, when he tells a lie, he speaks his native language because that's who he is. What's his target? He's going to go after the woman. You know, he's going to bypass the man, he's going to go after the woman. Any of you ever read Milton's Paradise Lost? I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest things maybe that's ever been written. It took me about four times to get through that, and I only got through it because I finally got somebody's book that explained what was going on in there. But when you come to the section where he describes Adam and Eve, it is so moving. And he really emphasizes the fact that Satan is targeting the woman, and he's going after her. Well, what's his strategy? His strategy is to get them to think God's not a good God. He's withholding the best stuff from you. Look, he's not letting you, even though you can eat all of the trees, he's not letting you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Any of you had little kids, and you remember saying, now I'm going to go out of the room for a few minutes, and there's something in that drawer that I don't want you to touch, so do not open that drawer till I come back. What's the only thing they want to do? Here's a hundred toys. All they want to do is open the door, you know, and find out what's inside. And so that's what Satan is doing, getting him to think, God's not a good God. You know, uh, here is this serpent, the snake, that is uh, at his best in trying to subvert this. So what's the human's part in this? What part do Adam and Eve play in this? Well, let's talk about the women, first of all. Uh, one of the problems is the woman is the one that takes the initiative in this. Now, Adam was the one that was to be the leader, but you're going to see he's kind of passive in the background. Eve is the one that takes the initiative. She dialogues with the serpent. Dialogue is not always good. You can get drawn in. That's what happens to her. And we read the account. Her response to uh, what the serpent said was not always exactly right. It wasn't totally wrong. She begins the dialogue. And then she begins to distrust God's motives. Why is God not letting us eat from this tree? It's 
good. It looks beautiful. It, it's desirable. It's going to benefit me. That doesn't seem right. And so, again, remember we said that sin is more than breaking a rule. It's violating a relationship, a covenant relationship. Now she's beginning to question God in all of this, and she desires the fruit. Genesis 3 makes that crystal clear. So what does she do? Don't eat it. She takes it, and she eats it. But that's not all. She gives the fruit to her husband. Now here's where I have to go back and read Paralandra. You know, and read about Tinadril. He was the king. And he realized that, uh, uh, I mean, Tor is the, the king. Tinadril is, the, is the, the queen. And he realized she can be undone. What a powerful way to, to be able to see this and appreciate what's happening here. She gives the fruit to her husband. He takes it and he eats. Remember? Good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are they going to know good and evil because of God's instruction, or are they going to know it by their own experience? Well, let's talk about Adam's part in this. Adam is passive throughout. That is one of the criticisms. He fails to protect his wife. He should have been there to stop this dialogue, this this attempt of this attempt of seduction from taking place. He fails to confront the intruder. You remember his task, he was appointed by God there to guard that, to protect that, much as Israel had the uh, uh, various uh, uh, priests uh, uh, in, in place to protect the tabernacle and then later the temple. So that was his task. He disobeys God's orders. God told him directly, don't eat from that tree. Introduces sin. If you go to Genesis, I mean, go to the Romans 5, Eve is not the one that the fingers pointed at. It's Adam. It's because of what Adam did. And what he does is he exercises autonomy. Uh, any of you ever heard a song by a guy by the name of Frank Sinatra? What's the song that he's best known for? I did it my way. I did it my way. And that's what Adam did. He did it his way. So, what are the consequences to that? Uh, is this good or is it bad? That's an important question and it's not easy to answer. Well, it's good because it provides the backdrop for God's promise of mercy to really glow. You've got to take some time to think about that. I'm not saying, boy, this was a good thing. God was happy that it happened. No, but what it does, it provides a backdrop. You know the way if, if you go to buy a diamond ring for your wife, okay, for your uh, 25th uh, anniversary or whatever, you go there, they don't lay the diamond on the glass case, do they? What do they lay it on? a black cloth so that it becomes a backdrop that you're able to see the beauty and the, the, the glow of that diamond. I want to suggest to you that all of this is that black cloth that's going to provide a backdrop in which God's mercy is going to shine in a way that you would have never seen it. Well, it's bad in the sense 
that it launches untold human misery. You know, the litany of that is almost endless. You know, is it not? And we recognize how deep that goes. There were consequences to this. So what's the cost? We talk about consequences. Uh, what, what is the cost to this? First of all, there's guilt. These aren't guilt feelings. You can feel guilty for things that you shouldn't. This is real guilt, a sense that they violated. They recognized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. That was guilt that's taking place. Independence replaces dependence. Rather than depending on God to provide all that they need. Remember, they're in the Garden of Eden. This is a seven-star resort. Everything that you could want is there, but instead they want to be they want to do it their way. And they do. Instead of communion, remember it says that Adam uh, and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day. Uh, when we read the account in there, they're hiding because they're not dressed for the occasion, remember? Uh, well, alienation comes in. And they're alienated from God. They're alienated for one another. Remember, Adam said, well, it's your fault. It's the woman that you gave me. How many men have done that? You know, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand now, have done that at some point? It, it, it's what takes place. What sin did is it broke the communion. And this is really the heart of this great drama of redemption. God is going to fix what's broken, so communion is going to be reestablished. That's what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be about. It's going to be about untold, unbroken communion with the living God. Not only that, but there's blame shifting. Points to Eve, and she said it's a serpent. Points to Adam, and he says, well, it's the woman. Points to the serpent. Well, he doesn't really get a voice here, but he would have had something to say. But do you see how, instead of accepting responsibility, I don't know, is there anybody here that's not aware of the Murdoch trial that's taken place over the last, you know, how many weeks? And you read that, and you see the shifting of responsibility. It's always pointing to somebody else they're responsible. I remember my dad saying, as a child, he was very responsible. Because anything that went wrong in the family, he said, he's responsible. He's responsible. And, and our natural response is to shift that responsibility away from us. But it's more. Instead of blessing, blessings are the good things that God gives. There comes the curse. There comes the difficulty in childbearing. There comes the difficulty in earning a living, the thorns and the, the, the briars that come along. Rather than being at home, they're exiled. We didn't read the account of that, but they get booted out. They're evicted from the garden, and they go east. And in fact, as you read the account in Scripture, they constantly go farther east. Uh, somebody wrote a book called East of Eden that kind of tracks that. Okay, So they're in exile. There is a brokenness in creation. God created it to be shalom. Shalom is a sense of peace, how everything fits together. And instead of that, there is this ugly sense of brokenness. Okay, That's what this brought about. So we have this broken covenant. Think about this for a moment. 
the king and the queen, Adam and Eve, they failed to keep the covenant that God made with them, to follow the directions that he gave to them. The king and queen are sent into exile. I always was struck, I'd love to see a video of this, of the angel standing there with a flaming sword that, you know, that uh, you, you didn't want to go through that gauntlet to get back into Eden. I wonder what that looked like. Uh, the creation suffers. Remember Paul says that even in Romans. The whole creation is suffering today, not willingly, but by the one who subjected it because of man's sin. And so there's a, a, a curse, a heaviness on creation itself. And so the question is, is this the end of the drama? You know, is, is it going to end here? Well, the answer is no. The covenant is going to be revamped. That takes us into what we're looking at today. That was the, the makeup from last week. Uh, let me see, where are we here? Okay, let's go to this. So we're looking at today, we want to, uh, actually, let me pause for just a minute. Uh, there's, there's so much that's worth looking at here, but I don't often give you a chance to make comments, ask questions. So let me pause here. Questions or comments in terms of what happened here with Adam and Eve and why that becomes so important, why it's necessary that we have this lens to look through and see human life. I just read, uh, and I'm going to send out a review of Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Fall, or The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And, and, and Rousseau, one of the, 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 the architects of our present uh, approach to things, said, I'm not bad. It's the society around me that's bad. They put all these rules in place. And so you look at today, when they look through the lens today, they look at people, these are good people. It's just all of these restrictions you've taken away, you know, all of the ways I want to express myself. I tell you, if you don't look through this lens and realize, you know, from my mother's womb, I went astray, as David says, or Paul says, we were by nature children of wrath, you're going to miss it. So it's important to see human nature not through this lens over here, this progressive lens that puts the blame on society, but to see that over here, it's going straight to the human heart. So anyhow, so I'm going to give you a chance to ask questions as I keep talking. Questions, comments? Okay, we tracking with that? Clear as mud. Clear as mud, okay. Can't do any better than that. Remember, Jesus put mud on their eyes and they could go away seeing, so maybe that will help you see. Okay, uh, we're, we're going to look at how the plot thickens after Adam and Eve falls, the aftermath of the flood. Now, we're actually going to be looking at Genesis 4 through Genesis 11. How do you do that in 15, 20 minutes, you know? <laughs> we're, but we're going to walk through that. We're going to get started. I've put it this way. The plot thickens the aftermath of the flood. The picture that we have in, uh, uh, in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 4, uh, social decay and wickedness. You remember a fourth of humanity was murdered on one day when Cain killed Abel. 
Okay, uh, probably the greatest massacre of all time. You can read that in chapter four. And then his son, grandson Lamech, was worse than Cain was. And you had a picture of God created them, you know, to be uh, His uh, 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 image bearers in fellowship with Him. But now the social decay and the wickedness is profound. Uh, we're going to look at Noah as the second Adam. What does that mean? The covenant that God made with Noah. And how does that fit in? How, how does that become a lens through which we look at life today? Noah's lapse. Uh, had a drunken stupor. Changed everything. Uh, and we're going to look at the Tower of Babel making a name. Uh, they decided they're going to make a name for themselves. So let's talk about the social decay and the wickedness. We could put image after image up here, but it starts with Cain murdering his brother Abel. What prompted that? God respected Abel's offering, but not Cain. I love this passage in uh, um, Genesis 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Now some of you need to listen to this, read this well. Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen to these words, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Okay, there's an attack. Satan's been doing that the whole time. But it doesn't say, hey, give up. There's nothing you can do. What does God say? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're not helpless by that. But that's the situation that we have. You go to chapter uh, uh, chapter 5 is... Uh, all of the, the, the people that were born in the likeness one after the other. You go to chapter 6, it sets the contacts for uh, the, the flood and the great judgment of God. In the beginning of that, you have the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. Now let me tell you, we could take two months wrestling with this, and I know that I'm right on this because I've been on both sides. I just don't know which time I've been right. You know, are these some kind of angelic beings marrying human people? Is this the line of uh, uh, Seth intermarrying with the line of Cain? Big problem, but what we know is whatever happened is ugly. Jude actually goes back and refers to this very thing. You have great wickedness and evil thoughts. Let me read uh, a, a verse or two from Genesis 6. Verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil all the time. Boy, that is such a strong statement. And I think... I think we could say that today, you know, in many respects. Uh, great wickedness, uh, evil thoughts, corruption and violence. You know, as you go through uh, the rest of that, you're, you're, you're going to read the things that, that took place. So what happens? This, uh, 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 the stuff that's happening... God is not just sitting back as a passive observer. He's the director of all of this. But I love the fact that he gives us a chance to kind of look inside God's own heart. 
You know, and we know this not because we have some kind of spectacles that we can see into God, but because God speaks to us about his own heart. What does it say? God was grieved. That is, there's this consistent opposition to the rampant injustice that's there. It's not capricious. It's not God just in a bad mood. It's that God is an opposition to the rampant injustice that's there. Injustice is a main theme throughout Scripture. It needs to be developed in, 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 in uh, an ongoing way throughout Scripture. Not only is he grieved, he's pained. The word regret. Again, whole host of questions arise here. How can a good, holy God, an impassable God, if you've never wrestled with the question of God's impassibility, it's the question of whether God can be disturbed and upset. And the fact is, God's never had a temper tantrum. We have. God hasn't. But he always responds in a way that, that addresses the situation. So there is this regret. Action must be taken. And again, this is not a mistake. This is part of God's plan. Remember, he wrote the script. He's directing it. So everything that's happening is according to his plan. And so when we take a look at God's plan, what does he say he's going to do? And we don't have time to go through each of the passages. He says, I'm going to wipe them out. In fact, I have to read a couple of verses here. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 17, I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth. This is God talking now. I'm going to bring floodwaters on earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. Now, this is a pretty radical step, isn't it? Everything that God made, all the people. I remember, uh, remember years ago when the approach to evangelism is God loves you and have a wonderful plan for your life? I remember seeing somebody that did a cartoon of the ark and all the people perishing, and there's a big sign on the side of the ark, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, it's complicated, okay? I'm not making poking fun at that. The love of God is the heart of, I think, and that's why I call this cross theater where God stages his love. It is about God showing his love, and it's going to be shown even in this, and he wipes out the land, life. He wipes out human being. It's gone. So here is the warning. He said, I'm going to punish and remove all the people on the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy all of the land animals on the face of the earth. There's going to be a global flood. Again, this is another one of those places we need six weeks to talk about what happened with the flood. What, what did it look like? But all we can say is it's a big mess. There's a global flood. They're wiped out. But there's a hope that's coming, and that is the second Adam. This is the glimmer of hope. And throughout Scripture, that's what we have. We have those passages where it points on the ugliness of what happens, but then there's always a glimmer of hope. You remember back in Genesis 3, when God is pronouncing this judgment against the serpent and against Adam and against Eve? In the midst of that, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. What does all that mean? Well, you've got to read the rest of the Bible to figure it out. But here's a hint that God hasn't lost control of this. 
See, and that's why it's important to look at our world through this lens. Because it feels like today God's lost control of things. You know, I've had people tell me that. I won't confess that I've ever thought that way because I'm a good Christian, right? Now, don't we struggle with that very thing? That it looks like, wait a minute, what's happening? Why doesn't God get rid of all the bad guys? But there's a glimmer of hope, and that hope is Noah. And you can read the account in Scripture where uh, it describes Noah. I, I won't take the time to do, to do that, but here's what it says. He was righteous and blameless. He walked with God. Uh, here was a man, in spite of all the evil that was going on, there's somebody over here that has it right. He found favor with God. Uh, God noticed what was happening, and he's going to become a picture of the redemption that's going to point forward to Christ. Everything that happens in the old is a way of pointing forward to what happens in Christ. So even the, the flood and the ark, what does 1 Peter say? You know, it's baptism, you know, is connected to that. John, you're the expert on that, so you can explain how all that works out. You talked to John afterwards. He uh, talked with a young guy for, what, 10 or 12 hours? Yeah, so, uh, but we, you'll have to see him on that. He'll work through that with you, okay? Uh, but the ark becomes, in a sense, the means of salvation. That's what God is providing, a way to rescue people from the judgment. Now, again, think how that is, in a subtle way, pointing forward to what we have in the gospel. In fact, I put a little sheet on, on your seat that is just a quick overview of the good news. What, is, what do we mean by the gospel? How does this all fit together? They're to gather the animals according to their kind, seven of the clean, uh, two of the unclean, bring them into the ark. Again, I remember reading things about how many animals were there, how much room do they need, how much food do they have. It, couldn't, it wasn't big enough, it couldn't happen. Listen, God's not in trouble about details. He worked it out. I can't explain it, but trust me, God knows what he did. And we read the account, they enter the ark, uh, and then the flood comes. Uh, I, I have in my Bible in chapter 7 and 8, uh, I have in the margins, 150 days, 40 days, 7 days, 7 days. I mean, he kind of gives us a, a chronology of what's happening until the flood subsides and they come out. So, uh, what happens? Water from the great deep and from the heavens. Again, I'd like to know what that means. You know, what is there? It's, it's more than a, you know, a huge uh, uh, a rainfall. There's something amazing that's happening here. And, and Adam, listen, what happens is Adam forfeited the stewardship. So what happens? Because of Adam's failure, uh, he's dismissed. Uh, he is not there any longer. Noah is the second Adam. You see that? He's the one that's going to come in. So the stewardship given to Adam is now given to Noah. The stewardship is transferred. It's not like God said, that was a bad idea. I'm going to start something new. I want you to understand, nothing in the Bible, it's not like when Jesus came, he said, you know what? That was a bad idea what God did in the Old Testament. I'm going to try something different. You understand, all of this 
is one story. He's describing what God is doing. So the, the, the stewardship that Adam failed to uphold is now transferred to Noah. And you see his character. We talked about that before. His commission, uh, he is given specific directions about what he is supposed to do. In fact, let's take a minute and just read uh, just a bit of this. In Genesis chapter 9, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, where have you heard that before? Yeah, that's exactly what he said to Adam. This is the second Adam, okay? He, he failed, now it's being given to him. Be fruitful and increase. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Now look at this next verse. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. I tell you, if you look through the lens of our progressive world today, it's a total rejection of this. We're not going here. That's cruel and unusual punishment. Again, we, we've had this Murdoch trial that's come up, and he's convicted of murdering his son and, and his wife, but they're not going to pursue the death penalty. There's huge divisions in the Christian community about, is this something that is still in place? And I'm going to argue, yes, it is. The Noah covenant didn't end. You know, that covenant continues just as the covenant with Adam continues, but there are modifications that take place. And so you have his commission to reestablish. Here is the establishment of human government, of how God is going to work. By man shall he be put to death. And boy, this raises questions. Well, what about John Locke and Rousseau, the social contract, and Hume and Hobbes and all the rest of those characters? And it was Madison and it was uh, 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 Thomas Jefferson and, and it was, uh, uh, who's the other guy? Oh, the founding fathers, that's where they took that stuff from. Our government is built on this in some sense. Now again, you can look at life through this lens over here that is progressive and distorted, or can look through this and realize that government is a good thing, even though it can go bad, even though it can be used in a bad way. So this again comes to bring us to the, the covenant and the difference between that and the contract. He made a covenant with Adam, though, I mean Noah. Those are the very words that he uses. And in fact, he reestablishes the covenant of creation. Now, last time we talked about, and I said, I'm not quite sure if there was a covenant made with Adam or not. And I don't, the words aren't there in Scripture. doesn't say that, but we have it with every other one. Well, I became convinced of this uh, by looking at this, uh, that, that 
what is made in Genesis 2 and 3 uh, with Adam now is reestablished with uh, Noah. So the flood, now let, let, me, let me back away for that just a second. I'm going to come back to that. I want you to see now the flood in one sense becomes a new creation. Remember we said all of this is to be understood typologically. There are things that God's doing that are going to continue to grow. And so where there was the failure of Adam, it's like the flood is a new creation. Here is the new people that God is going to work with. Noah becomes the new Adam. The broken uh, covenant is going to be reestablished. So let's look at this. There are two key words. A covenant is cut and a covenant is reaffirmed. And so when you see that word, a covenant cut, you read that in Genesis 2 and Genesis 15. When you come to uh, the Noahic covenant, it is confirmed. And, it, and it's a way of saying there was a covenant back there that was broken and it's reconfirmed or reestablished here. That may help a little bit. That's a more complicated uh, argument and discussion, but it's worth thinking about. I want you to look at the terms of the Noah Covenant. I realize our time is about over, and uh, we have uh, Pastor Logan here today, so if I transgress, he will know directly, not just because somebody squealed on me. But, okay, I, I, want, I want you to see the terms of the covenant that are here. What are they to do? Be fruitful and fill the earth. That comes from Adam. Now it's transferred to them. And again, if we had time to go through each one of these scriptures, you'll see these are just phrases taken from this account in Genesis 9. The animals will fear you and become food. Human life is sacred. Now, friends, I want to tell you, I don't know if there is a more important verse in regard to the debates about capital punishment, the debates about abortion, the debates about uh, uh, genocide, the you know, uh, end of life, uh, you know, chosen suicide to end life because I've got cancer, whatever, all of those things fit together. This verse is a lens. Before you decide what to do, you better look through this lens and realize that God made human life sacred. And there's something different about that than killing a, you know, a steer for the meat or killing a chicken to have a drumstick for you know, Sunday lunch. There's something different. And, and you'll notice the statement, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made him. So we have this sense of social responsibility that's there. I'm just going to quickly say this, and we're going, to, we're going to end here. The parties to the covenant, it's very clear in here. Uh, if you go a little bit later in chapter 9, Noah and his descendants, every living creature, the earth, and all life on earth. So God is establishing something here that is uh, uh, going to set the course for everything that takes place. Now, next week we'll come back and finish this up, and we're going to look at Abraham. Let me encourage you to do something. Take some time this week and read Genesis 12 through about Genesis 24, uh, and, and just let that soak in. If you miss Genesis 12 
In Genesis 15, you will not understand the rest of the storyline of the Bible. Uh, two New Testament passages that have to be added to that. When you read Genesis 12, you've got to go to Romans 4, or read about Abraham, and you've got to go to Galatians 3. Those are the two key New Testament passages that link all of that together. Now, we're, we're going to conclude here and, and close with prayer, but I, I do have to say one thing. It's so nifty. My daughter Gretchen is 50 on Tuesday. And uh, I just want to uh, recognize her today. She really would like to come up and have you sing to her, but we don't have time now, so I won't ask her to do that. But uh, I uh, am thrilled that I have spent five decades. I'm actually entering into the sixth decade of having such an amazing daughter. Let's pray together. Father, how grateful we are to know that the things that have happened in the past, the things that are happening now, are not just a result of some cosmic chance, but all of those are the result of your hand and your direction. As Paul said in Ephesians, that you work all things according to the counsel of your will. Father, I pray that you would give us a, a, a fresh understanding. A, I pray that you would put in our heart a desire to understand so that we would be able to look through the lens that you provided us to understand our life in this world and not through, look through the other lenses that give such a distorted picture and result in such horrible ends. Lord, I pray that we would live to see a great movement of your Spirit in our day and our culture, that there would be a return to an appreciation for the fact that we are image bearers and we're answerable to a holy God. So, Lord God, we ask today that you would open not just our mind, but our eyes and our hearts to not just understand this, but to feel it deep in our spirit and to walk away with a great sense of confidence that just as you directed through all of these events, through the failure of Adam and Eve, through their exile, through uh, the selection of Noah and, and his uh, 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 ultimate failure, and then moving on to Abraham until we come to Jesus Christ, how grateful we are that once for all, in the end of the ages, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that he, in fact, is the mediator of a new covenant. And Lord, all the blessings that we now know are just a warm-up to the glorious, uh, uh, indescribable blessings of a new heaven and a new earth where you're going to dwell with man in a way that we've always hungered for and desired and never been able to attain. So dismiss us now with your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you haven't signed the sheet, I might want to make sure I get those sheets back, and I will send stuff out to those who want it.
Anybody know where the streets are? Uh, it's called Paradise Lost. That's by John Milton. That what? Yes, it was uh, it was Riken. Uh, is it Phil Riken? He he did a book. I I have to tell you, uh, it's R Y K E N, I think. Uh, and and he does a book that kind of walks you through that. That was so helpful to me. Okay, you're welcome. Great, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Second son, Ahom. 
vanity, worthless waste of breath. Vanity of vanities, the propeller says. Vanity of hobble, 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 people. what he wants. She needs the first son. Precious treasure. And then one shepherd and one lord into the city. The injustice, the just shepherd gets killed, and then she names Seth compensation. She names him as the line of and in Noah, he's the one that rest. He's the one. Maybe he's the one that will bring us to Noah. Rest. Maybe he's the one in this world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. This section of the scripture. Yeah, 